The Corinthians seem to have found themselves out of step with God's will for their lives. That is, now they live for themselves and what they want. They are sheep who are saved from death and only to return to their own ways. Have you guys seen that, that sheep that gets pulled out of the ditch and then takes a couple hops and flops right back into the ditch again? Uh-huh, that's them. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Now you can see this is in quotes because Paul is quoting what the Corinthians say. And he's going to be counterbalancing their uh, expression of how they live with what God says. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not to yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I being denounced? Because of something I thank God for. What is he talking about here? What is he referencing? In Corinth, they had temples set up to gods. And they sacrificed meat. They barbecued meat to these gods for their glory. Now, we learned previously in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these are sacrifices that are not offered to the one true living God, but they are actually sacrifices. Well, think about it this way. If it's not sacrificed to God, who is it for? Because only God is good. So if it's not God, it's something else. And if it's something else, it's not good. Paul references this. They're giving sacrifices to demons is what they're doing. So people could invite you. You could get invited to go eat at these temples. Or people would invite you to go. Paul previously said, essentially, just avoid that. But you could buy the meat that was sacrificed at those temples. You could buy that at the market. Because there's extra, right? There's lots going through all of that. Paul is saying, meat is meat. God made animals, God made animals to eat, and they are good. And he made them. On their face value, there is nothing wrong with them. But if in knowing the source of this meat, if, if bringing up those, those questions, have you ever been to a pawn shop before? <coughs> you see where I'm going with this? That's what Paul is talking about. If you know it's wrong, don't do it. If you know it's wrong, don't do it. You're free to eat meat, he's saying. And don't do it because it was sacrificed to somebody else. Because those gods are nothing. 
and the meat is something that God had created. But he's saying, don't eat it. If you know it was sacrificed to an idol, if they brought it up, hey, this meat, you know, this meat was sacrificed to an idol. This is, this is for something else, somebody else's glory. Don't eat it, not because of your lack of freedom, but because in doing so, you're enabling them. You're leading them to sin. So by refraining from something, you're removing stumbling blocks from other people. Meaning that for both the people that invited them and for other Christians observing, if you simply went along with, with, what, was, with what was wrong, what appearance does that give to both the people inviting you and the people knowing what it is that you do? Here's the biggest verse that I want you to take away, if all of what I just said was confusing. Verse 31. And you should circle this, highlight this, put a big fat uh, bookmark in this, because this is how we should live. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Mm. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, that is, those of the law, whether Greeks, that is, Gentiles, people of the world, or the church of God, that is, other believers. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that why? They may be saved. Paul inconveniences himself and sacrifices his own freedom so that others will be saved. Verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Isn't this, if you think about this, isn't this the outcome of liberty that we hope for? Like when we think of freedom in our country, right? We don't think of freedom to go shoot somebody else or to hurt or to harm or to destroy. We think of freedom that encourages and empowers goodness, We don't want to see freedom wasted. We want it to be seen, used to its full potential. There are two ways I think that we can waste freedom. The first one is to abuse it. And the second one is to deny it. So in reference to what we're talking about here, abusing the freedom that God has given me in my life would be to take that freedom and to go and to give my life to sin or to the world. Or the opposite, to deny the freedom that God gives me, would be me trying to keep the law, rejecting the fact that Christ fulfilled the law for me, so that I wouldn't be trying to earn God's favor and his love, but that I would receive his love, 
his forgiveness and his favor. And in that, I would live. That is the standard by which I live. And I'm guided by his spirit and by his word. Think of an imaginary child that you raised. They're kind of good looking because you're kind of good looking. When they get older and you quit tying their shoes and they finally become independent, wouldn't you hope that they wouldn't spend their lives in prison or harming others? Or the other extreme, that they would never take risk, that they wouldn't live out their freedom. They would avoid love because of pain or adventure because of fear, that they would be crippled by their worries and unwilling to make mistakes. The freedom that God gives us is a good thing. But we must all remember that without God, we have no freedom. The Corinthians here are taking things to extremes. They are either conforming to the culture and doing things they know are wrong, and by their actions encouraging others to do so, or they are condemning others. And we can see that when Paul says, why should I be judged by another person's conscience? We're not eating in temples. But think of it this way. You can invite it to a birthday party. Presents finish. This amazing cake is brought out and it looks so good. You kind of feel guilty that it's going to get sliced up. Birthday boy gets his piece and you finally get yours. But before you take a bite, the parents lean over with a grin and confess how they were sly when they stole the cake from the bakery. By distracting the cashier. Now, you didn't commit a crime. The cake is cake. But with their admission, you know in your spirit that if you eat this cake, you are affirming the kleptomaniac parents. And teaching them that what they did is okay. And teaching everybody else what they did is okay. Not only that, you're telling everyone that accepting stolen items is okay, thus leading them to sin. Cake is cake, and cake is good. But if it leads others to sin, the right thing to do is to deny it. So, take cake and replace it with whatever it is in your life. Replace it with anything else that could cause you to stumble or others to stumble. Once again, let me remind you that Paul had this attitude as he imitated Christ. He was willing to become a vegetarian, to completely change his diet for the sake of others, so that they wouldn't be condemned in their minds. I asked that before. How many people are willing to change their diet for somebody else? It's hard enough to change your own diet, right? <laughs> like, my throat is swelling up because I'm allergic to eggs, wheat, and now milk. Now that's a great, apparently a good thing of getting older, I guess. I don't know. And I don't even change my, I'm still not very good at changing my diet, you know? <laughs> 
But still, this is the attitude that Paul has, willing to change and restrict his own freedom for the sake of others. The point that Paul is making here is bigger than sacrifice meat. It is doing what God wants. And he wants, what he wants is for sinners to be saved. Verse 31 again, so whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The point is this, that we should submit our lives to God in absolutely everything we do. It's in that place that we find the freedom of God. And we are to use our freedom for good, to love God above all, and to love people. This means putting people above ourselves, not leading them to sin, and not condemning them with our own spirit-given convictions. If it's not in here, but in here God has told you it's wrong, you should keep that to yourself and obey. If God tells you not to do something, you better not do it. But to one in step with the, the Spirit and in submission to God, what can be sin to one person because God has convicted them not to do it. And you shouldn't do it. For example, shall I make some examples? My friend is a recovering alcoholic. So should, when they invite me over, should I offer them alcohol every time they come over? Should they see me abusing such a thing? Should I abuse such a thing in the first place? The answer to all those is no. But that's just one example. Withholding a part of my freedom for the good of others. True freedom is submission to God as citizens of the kingdom of God. We have freedom, but there are simply things that are contrary to his word. Things that are incompatible for citizens of God's kingdom. If God has convicted you to do something, you better not do it. If it's in his word and he tells you not to do it, you better not do it. You can't justify your sin. And the spirit doesn't lead us to sin either. If God's convicted you not to do something, you shouldn't do it. But don't steal the freedom of others to satisfy your own convictions. Or pretty soon, no one can dance. No one can play instruments in church. Or enjoy things in moderation. I'm referencing those because those specific things in church history have been denied. And for what reason? Maybe somebody's personal conviction. 
We should not deny the good things that God has made for his glory. Instead, in our freedom, we are all subject to the Spirit of God, meaning this, we are not free from God, we are free in God. We are not free from God, we are free in God. We have no right to sin or to lead others to it. Galatians 5, 13 through 25. This does a whole lot better explaining it than I can. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do we do all this? We walk by the Spirit. That is, I do what God wants, not what I want. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But now he gives you the contrary how you can identify what it is that God wants you to do. How, can you, how you can identify the motivations that the Holy Spirit is leading you to. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what is the proper way to enjoy the freedom that God has given us? To enjoy it with and for God. To live by the Spirit. As citizens of God's kingdom, remember this. You did not earn your freedom. You didn't earn your national freedom. You most certainly did not earn the freedom that God has given you. The spiritual freedom that you have in Christ. Know this. Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf. He did what you could not do. So we don't live by something that we can never live up to. But instead, the law served as a mirror to see how dirty we were. To quote Alistair Begg from this morning. And our need that we have for God. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He was perfect and good and pleased God for us.
so that we could be adopted as his sons and daughters. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see an accept there? Hang on that verse. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you jump down to verse 12, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will what? But if you live by the Spirit, you put the death, the misdeeds of the body, you will what? Live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are who? Hmm. What will you have done with the freedom that you have been given? What will they hold against you when they remember you? Will it be the unexplainable trust that you put in God? Or will it be something else? Your politics, your law, your lifestyle? Are you sandpaper? Abrasively scraping away at others, trying to conform them into another shape that you see fit? Or are you imitating Jesus so that others would find life in him too? What will define your life? Will it be the work you did and all the fun you had? The fights you won and the victories you secured? Or will it be something greater? When people think of you, what will they see? Will they be inspired and encouraged? Will they want to follow the Christ that you serve? Will the selflessness of your love that you showed be what they feel when they remember your face? Will they know you for who you really are before you leave this place? A human being not defined by their failures in sin, but as a person that God saw fit to forgive and save. Now overflowing with the love you were shown. A generous person who took nothing but the hurt and burden of others and the grace and mercy of God. A weak person with faults and quirks who has been made strong in Christ, filled with hope for the future, courage in the unknown, and a joy that returns stronger each time it seemed to fade away. Someone who was not fearful of death or loss or pain, but someone who had found real hope in Jesus' name. This is who God is changing you into. You were made to be that way. You were made to be his. Plucked from the darkness of this world and put on the path of righteousness. Like a ball down the bowling lane with huge bumpers. 
not crippled by fear of falling into the gutter, but put in motion by God to come to your heavenly home with him. Taking many people with you along the way. So will it be condemnation and judgment or mercy and love that you leave behind? When they see your face, will they remember you as the presence of God in their lives? That you were put on this earth in this very time to love them? Or when they hear that you were a Christian, will it be a surprise to them? Whose voice will they hear? Whose eyes do they see? Will they find the coldness of evil or God living in me? This is who God creates us to be. He makes us new. All who seek him, find him. Everyone who seeks God will find him. And they will receive the love of God, the security, the confidence of where they're going and where they belong. More specifically, who they belong to. Now, as we conclude, here's the final point once again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God.